Do you think you're an overnight success? No, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think so. And, and it's simple for me not to think so because I'm not yet successful. <laughs> so, yeah, not, not an overnight success, success as such. Uh, we're still working. Uh, we, we're still very much worried about our product. We, we keep on making changes, refining the model, refining how we do things, and yeah, and wanting to improve everything. So we I, we have that culture where we, you know, in fact, I don't want to be corporatized. You know, we want to remain a startup. And, you know, if you remain a startup, that means you will never make it. And that's what keeps you on the ground working. But when do you get to a point, I mean, you can't constantly be innovating. Lots of tech companies have tried that approach. They say innovation, 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 only for innovation to kill them. Because at some point you have to grow the business. You can't just be building. Um, look, I think in the tech space, that's, that's the name of the game. You know, uh, if you zoom in very careful in terms of companies where we have made it or we have made it big. You know, if you look at Amazon, if you ask me if Amazon have stopped innovating, uh, I'll say you're lying. Yeah. Those guys are, they keep on innovating every day. They are leading, whether if it's research, whether if it's AI. So, you know, like you, in tech, you, the moment you stop that, then you know you're dead. Someone's going to come and build something better than what you have. So you have to keep that culture of innovating, you know. Um, where you can maybe relax is when maybe maybe if you're growing vegetables, maybe you can get to a point where you're like, ah, I'm fine, you know. But in the tech space, you definitely have to keep on innovating and also allow the young people to come in and, and take over and teach you th things, you know, and how to do new things, you know. Um, so you have to keep that spirit. So let's go back to the beginning, 2016. Yeah. yeah. You launch. Yeah. So really, you're quite you're still an infant in your phase of growth right yeah. yeah still very early days for us um yeah so like when we launched the platform obviously we wanted to do a lot more um just groceries restaurants just about anything you know that you could you know you can imagine but the truth is when you're on the ground you realize there's a lot of details that go into each one of these things whether if it's food or groceries or whatever you know um and yeah and then we we launched with just about everything but later on we realized that this complex problem was solving and we need to divide it and just take one, one piece at a time and then scale it from there and then after you have scaled it then you can start thinking about other different things you know how long did it take you to refine your business objectives in that way i think the key thing for me was when people were confused about like how different are we from Uber Eats and Mr. D I'll see a lot of comments on Facebook and people talking about like no these guys are are like Uber Eats and someone will come in and say no they're not like Uber Eats they're different from Uber Eats because of XYZ they deliver groceries and to me that was it was something that was saying to us look I mean you have to find something you know uh, that that is a niche for you you know and from there who knows later on you can even go back to restaurants but after people know you for groceries you can do a lot more afterwards Speaking of the likes of Uber Eats and yep. Take A Lot and all these online delivery systems, you built a platform from scratch. Yeah. But did you take inspiration from these platforms and how to build this platform? It's, it's very important to always do that. You know? So, I mean, in the beginning, um, I thought about this idea, no one has thought about it in the whole world. 
and and when i was building i started even following the right things you know i'll go to TechCrunch, read up stories about companies in the us i realized there were a lot of companies doing this you know so so often when you you know people when are starting something they think it's just them it's the idea and that's why they don't want to tell anyone and and i realized that we need to scrap that you know you need to realize that if you think of some something someone has thought about it someone has probably tried to do it you know uh, what can help you though is is to obviously uh, choose companies that you know you can look up into uh, in terms of you know maybe they are also in the starting phase that helps you a lot because most of the challenges challenges that they deal with will be similar to what you're going to or what you're going through already so some of the guys that i looked up into in the beginning was companies like doordash uh, which is in the US, Postmates also in the US and yeah and over time I realized that we're going through the same challenges and how we're addressing them you know I look at them you know like these guys are not doing it properly and I'm doing it better you know so that's how I can get better in that space. 2016 you start you yeah. have a, a bit of a bumpy start because you can't decide what kind of platform you want to be eventually you settle on grocery delivery yeah what has the uptake been like since you've cemented this approach so i would say what happened is after we decided to go for groceries only um, there was no confusion in the market uh, people knew that these are the guys who are doing groceries we were the only guys doing groceries at the time uh, retailers as well started approaching us instead of us now sending emails to them they were coming to us to say we have tried uber eats we have tried Mr. D, actually not even Mr. D, they were trying Uber Eats for groceries. We've tried these things, it didn't work out. Now we have to look for an alternative because groceries is tough. It's, it's not the same as, as restaurants. And, and when they came to us with all the challenges that they had experienced by selling their items on Uber Eats, they realized that we were already solving those problems. Uh, and that made it easier for us. Uh, and in the beginning it was tough because obviously we, you know, like 90% of our sales were coming from restaurants and 10% was groceries. So we took a bit of a knock and I wasn't sure at the time whether it was the right thing to a point where we didn't even delete the restaurant. They were still there, you know, it was just a matter of like hiding them, you know, uh, we could have clicked the button to say now they are available. But we continued and month two we started to see some improvement as well in the grocery space. So you know what, this is now taking off. Now we can see the growth, you know. And by month four, we had recovered and we had grown even like 50% more, you know. So we could see where it's going. So it was just more about, I think when it comes to grocery shopping, it's about the experience, you know. So the more you build into their platform, the ability to like, you know, uh, send replacements online, the ability to communicate with customer in real time, it becomes key. And also training your staff to be able to pick the right items, that's very critical as well. I mean, we all know you pay for convenience yeah. you are taking away that pain yeah. of having to stand in a grocery line with children screaming and trolleys bumping into you yeah. and it really i mean do you think that is the differentiator look i think i think for now it is you know for now we, it's more about the convenience um, and what we've seen as well the patterns is we see a lot of customers coming in for for convenience and they get hooked um, I mean, today our average basket size is like sitting at like 750, you know, per customer, which is quite high. If, if I compare, rent. yeah, when I compared with other retailers, big retailers will tell me that they're doing about 250, 
for you know like for the up market retailers and middle class law and doing 80 bucks per basket so so for us we're at the point where we have actually even tried to make it easier for customers you know uh, we've introduced things like machine learning which is you know uh, it makes it easier for people to just quickly buy the things they've been buying the most you know uh, they can easily just buy it on those within five minutes that's interesting because i mean we're talking about you have to keep innovating and machine learning is an interesting way to yeah. learn people's habits right yeah, so by exactly. the time they log in next time they'll be like oh it's been a month yeah, you haven't yeah. bought bread you yeah. should buy bread yeah and and also like in the grocery space because the catalog is quite huge right you're dealing with like eighty thousand you know products on our platform for instance you know uh you can just imagine like versus like restaurants you know if you log in and you say i, I want this restaurant chances are there's just like 30 items you know and that's what set up uh, that set us apart from the likes of uber it's because the thinking there for for the for the guys who are doing restaurants is just more about like about a small catalog you know whereas for us if you are on the other side you have to think more about like how do i make it easier for customers when they come in and, and have to navigate this huge catalog you know so that was that was critical for us to to refine the platform uh, and keep on changing it every day you know uh, some people even complain and say hey the older one was better but we keep on refining it we keep on changing it do you have loyal customers now we have got uh, a lot of loyal customers um i think uh, look i mean uh, on average uh, when i look at our top 100 customers on average, every month they spend about twenty thousand rand on our platform. So those I will call, I call them all our customers. That's insane. You also charge a lot on your platform. You're taking four to seven percent in fees and service fees every transaction. Yeah, um, yeah. Look, I think you know with with convenience like this, it's, it's expensive. You know, uh, if you look at the cost behind the scenes, you realize that seven percent is. Is really not a lot for the convenience that we provide, you know. So we use that money to pay for our shoppers, our pickers, you know. Uh, and, and I mean, our pickers, if we're paying them like 25 rand an hour, and if you look at your time as well, so that's why I think for now we kind of like have been attracting a lot of the high LSMs. You look at your time for one hour, what could I have done, you know, with that one hour, you know. Maybe you could have worked on your proposal, close a deal for one million rand. Or you could have played with your kids, or you could have watched a movie. So in terms of that convenience, I think maybe maybe not a lot as such. Uh, yeah. So I think, uh, but we have plans. Obviously, uh, as we go down to the lower LSMs, we have plans to uh, to find a way how we can reduce our service fees to a point where there's no service fee, where there's no delivery, and you just get into the app, you order the things that you want, you know. But obviously, when you're running a model like this, there's still some cost that you have to pay for. Uh, and, and and I mean, I'm not even counting the remaining cost where now we're just subsidizing it by doing other things, you know. Whether it's delivery cost, that has to be subsidized. So this kind of model is tricky uh, to get the unit economics to work, you know. Because I mean, on the other side, the customer companies that are paying too much, and the platform itself, you're like, okay, but we're not making enough, you know, we have to subsidize this, you know. If we were to rely on service fees only, it's, it, you're not going to make enough money. Is this a tiered uh, approach to charging people, or are you hoping that with scale, you can just completely reduce that cost? Yeah, so, so with, with, with scale, we, we, we definitely are going to, to, to reduce that cost and also breaking it down right now. I mean, we're starting to do a lot of things. Remember, our main cost is really in the picking. 
So having a guy waiting for your order, you know, uh, whether if there's an order or there's no order, we pay a Zozi for that guy. Because otherwise, if you order and there's no one who's going to pick the items, then the experience becomes terrible. So we have to pay for that part either way, you know. Uh, so right now we're finding other ways to say, how can we make sure that that guy can do multiple things while he's waiting for that order? You know, uh, like it can be a lot, like, uh, like it can be like, for instance, like helping out in the grocery store, you know, whether if it's picking, whatever the case is, you know. So, those are the kind of things that we're looking into. Um, same as delivering, you know, um, like partnering with you know different uh companies to just plug into our network, you know, uh, to utilize that to do their own deliveries as well. That's one thing that we're looking at, and that's the only part where we can make. The whole ecosystem to work the whole on-demand space to work so another thing that we also start to do as well is now schedule deliveries you know where you can book a slot in advance because uh, what makes this kind of like on-demand not work properly is people requesting things like now and they want it now but if you know that uh, within a, you know four hours five hours this person will need xyz then you're able to aggregate orders the same as couriers. The reason why it's sustainable for couriers is because they're able to aggregate orders and they deliver to you know multiple customers. But imagine a situation where a company was leaving a sounder to come and deliver to you to your door just for you. That would be very expensive. So all in all is the the on-demand delivery platforms are the service in itself is just expensive. So I wouldn't say you're competitors in this space, but your clients almost in this space, the traditional retailers have all tried this. Pick and Pay has their little tuk-tuks that they deliver with. Yeah. Woolworths also allows you to order in advance so that it can del del be delivered on time. I mean, even alcohol brands, Norman Goodfellows, etc. They all do these sorts of things. Why? What is your differentiator other than time? One hour delivery? Do you still do that for large orders? Yeah, we, we do one hour delivery. Uh, but I think the biggest difference is the tech. Is the tech. Uh, the tech is the biggest differentiator. So we we have been building amazing technology, um, and 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 I mean some of the retailers now are looking to partner with us in terms of like uh, using our tech for for even for themselves, you know. And that's a that's a that shows that there's something that we're doing, you know. And, and I believe that tech is the most important ingredient in these things, you know. Uh, if I look at even the retailers, not like customers, they didn't want to do like shop groceries online. What we've seen is we've seen numbers that go up and they go down because the guys try it and then they get disappointed in terms of the sale. So you have to refine the platform over time, you know, and, and I don't think retailers have got the ability to do that on their own. So they will need to start thinking about like how do they work with people like us, you know, uh, and we are already working with one of the biggest retailers. In, in Africa um, and we're helping them with that exactly that problem so I don't foresee retailers as competitors I see them as people that can help when we're building this platform we realize that customers needs are, are quite big customers are demanding a lot of things these days you know they demand they want to buy from multiple retailers as well we see customers ordering from from discount clicks uh, Woolworth and the question is if if you are a retailer and you're on our platform, they think they, they, will, they will continue to order. The truth is they will look elsewhere, they will buy from there and they will continue from there. And that's the brand that they will think more about. You know, Next time they want to order something or they want to walk into a retailer, 
they will think more about the guy they've been ordering from Zozi. They're not going to be thinking about someone who's not even on our platform. So it's about changing the mindset yeah, from the retailer side as well, in terms of you know what are these things you know. So I, I still say that uh, retailers must still go ahead, build their nice platforms, and they must also be on Zozi, and they must also continue the brick and mortar. If they can offer an option for click and collect, you must do it. So you must offer customers different channels because that's what they want. Zulzi in the future, what is going to help scale this business? Is it access to more funding? Is it growth, customer growth? Uh, scale definitely will, will, will need funding. So we're at the point where we, we actually are raising uh, and that's going to help us to scale. Uh, partnering as well, I think for us we believe more in collaborating, you know, so so like retailers as well, like plugging into our platform as well for different things, whether if it's the shopping or the delivery, that will, will give us the skill that we need. What's the ideal number in this funding round? Look, um, I think that remains highly confidential. <laughs> But uh, yeah, but uh, because obviously we we kind of like in the middle of it, so we will make an announcement. But yeah, but it's a it's it's a decent number. It's a decent number. So there's no chance that Zulzi is going to. I mean, you only see growth going forward, correct? Yeah, we only see growth. Um, we, we I mean, we we are now in the middle of it. We can see all the opportunities that are there, and we can see that the. The opportunity is quite huge, you know. Uh, we haven't done anything yet. That's why I can't even sleep at night because it's just a massive opportunity that lies ahead of us. Obstacles? Look, I think uh, there's just, I would say there's a lot of challenges, obviously, you know. Um, like, I mean, to this day, we've been running this platform on our own now, uh, as in like self-funded, which is, which is I think it's something that is it's, 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 it's been it's, it's great. It's great in a way that it forced us to look at our models. It forced us to look at where can we cut down, how can we do specific, like where can we improve, you know. So I think the obstacles that we've been having have been great, you know, compared to when you're getting a lot of money and now you're just spending it. You like you know let's go big, let's put billboards everywhere, you know. Uh, we have been very gradual and we've been very careful in terms of how they're spending our money and also working a lot more in terms of how you refine your model because the other day is this must make sense even if you raise like whether it was 100 billion rand or whatever the case is the model itself still have to make sense Zuzi is black owned black run a black tech firm that's doing exceptionally well in south africa you are one of the very very few do you think your challenges or even the opportunities available to you are unique to you because of the tech business or because of the fact that you're black people in technology look i think I, th I think what is key is you obviously have to factor a lot of that i won't say that race doesn't you know in fact it's just about like who do you know you know uh, who do you grow up with it, it, it reflects a lot of things you know um and and, 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 and I think it, it, there's something that makes sense, you know, like even for me, I know a lot of people who are black, so, you know, if I have to do something, I might have to go and approach my friend that I know, you know, and, and so is like also like white people, you know, so you sort of like, you have to find a niche, you know, where no one's paying in that space and do it better, you know, and once you start to do it better, then, you know, it, the race card doesn't matter, you know, 
if someone doesn't work with you, we'll just be making a bad decision, you know, and they will get punished. They might even lose their job because someone else will choose you and say, you know what, uh, I'm going to partner with this guy because they're doing well and, and, and the market will, will punish them, you know. So, so for us, we're at the point where we, 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 we're refining the product, you know, and, and, and we are, we're even hiring, uh, you know, between a lot of, you know, like a lot of different races actually in the company, you know. We're at the point where, you know, even though the ownership is still black owned, but the type of people who work for us is all different races, you know, uh, all the smart guys, whether if you're white, black, Indian, they come in and work for us, you know, because they they can see that the things that we're building is incredible, you know, and and for me, that's what's more important, you know, um, the race card, I don't think it, it, it helps anyone, you know, it's just, you have to look at what am I doing, you know, and it just makes sense. I mean, even you, if you take things like, you already know a guy now who's black, you went to school with them, you'll give them the job. Shoot. You know, if you don't do that, then it means there's something wrong with you, you know. So so we, we need to navigate that to say, how do we move away from that, you know. Um, I did have, there were times where, I, I mean, when I went into, you know, like, uh, wanting to sign up for first insurance, I, I approached guys and most of them who owned those restaurants obviously were white and they were saying no, you know, and I thought they were racist for some, you know, at, at some point, you know. Um, but then when I looked at uh, this guy from Postmates who was in the US doing something similar to what we're doing, and he said um, on the podcast, she was on YouTube, he was saying that you know what he had to actually put everyone on the platform he didn't have to go and sign a partnership with them including mcdonald's they were just on this platform without any partnership then that's when i realized that no this guy's got a point you know uh, and this guy was white you know and he was saying you know what people were saying no so the race card it, it wasn't playing anything it, didn't, it wasn't doing anything whether if you're white or whatever they could not have used you you know they were just looking for People are just looking for something that's excellent. It's as simple as that. And if it's not excellent, you must admit, you go back, you work hard, right? And if you it was better, right? It means now it's becoming more, even more amazing. It'll get to a point where it's miles ahead and people will be like, ah, but how come aren't you using these things, you know? And, and, and fast forward, uh, you know, two years later, we now working with one of the biggest retailer and the guys who gave us the deal are white. You know, and now you know. If I had gone out and say no, white people are racist. Now I was gonna eat my humble pie and say you know what? But these guys just gave us something that's actually even bigger than what I was negotiating for in the beginning. So I think it's just more about like focus on your product, refine it, get it to be better. You know, uh, you can't just expect people to take you because of or the fact that you're black. You know or you previously disadvantaged. It doesn't work in the corporate world. People want things that will make sense. If something makes sense, they will buy into it. If it doesn't make sense, they won't buy into it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. It was great. Cool.